What comes to mind when you think of ballet? Maybe it's dancers in tutus gracefully pirouetting across the stage. Maybe it's even this piece of music, Johann Strauss's The Blue Danube. And what comes to your mind when you think of ballet audiences, the type of person who would attend a ballet? Rich, old, people who sort of act dignified, and maybe the act of attending a ballet is a social performance in itself. In May 1913, a ballet known as the Rite of Spring, the R-I-T-E of Spring, made its premiere in Paris. At this performance, the audience started a riot. The rich, old, self-proclaimed dignified people started heckling the performers, punching each other. Legend has it, two audience members even challenged each other to a duel, like the ten paces with a gun kind of duel, over a ballet. The Rite of Spring was put on by a company called Ballet Russe, the brainchild of a guy named Sergei Diaghilev. Diaghilev's goal with Ballet Russe was to introduce Western audiences to traditional Russian music and culture. He was an audience member at a performance which included the composition Fireworks by an up-and-coming Russian composer of classical music by the name of Igor Stravinsky. The two connected, and Stravinsky was added to the Ballet Russe team, Eventually, Diaghilev said something along the lines of, Hey Igor, let's make a ballet about human sacrifice. And the Rite of Spring was born. After that, Diaghilev let Stravinsky take the wheel. Stravinsky added Vaslav Nijinsky, a choreographer, to the team. Nijinsky had already made a bit of a controversial name for himself with his experimental choreography to a ballet called The Afternoon Fawn. To construct the set and design the costumes, the group found Nicholas Rarick, a dude who was like the go-to expert of the time for all things Russian and prehistoric. So Rarick would sort of be the fact checker of the ballet, as well as the costume and set designer. The final form of the Rite of Spring would be a 35-minute long work split into two parts. The first part is called Adoration of the Earth, and it sets the scene of a prehistoric tribe in Eastern Europe. At the end of this part, a sage enters the stage and kisses the ground, announcing that a religious human sacrifice is necessary. The second part is called The Sacrifice, and it follows the tribe as they select who will be sacrificed. The dancer who is eventually chosen is encircled by the rest of the ensemble, who push the sacrifice back into the circle as they flail. The very last chord in the Rite of Spring is a whip-like sound effect made up of the notes D, E, A, and D, which, when put together, spell out the word dead. When Diaghilev came back to hear the music and sort of see how the ballet was progressing, he was taken aback when he heard this, the introduction to the Rite of Spring. First off, the melody is being played by a bassoon, typically an instrument in the bass register. This gives the melody a sort of eerie, shrieking quality because the player has to strain to hit these notes that are higher than are usually played on the bassoon. 
The bassoon is the instrument of choice here because it sounds similar to pan flutes that could be heard at the time and in such rituals that the Rite of Spring set out to depict. Also, there's no clear harmonic foundation here in the music. What that means is there's no chord and no note that sort of presents itself as the home base that the music is going to resolve itself into. Diaghilev commented on this to Stravinsky, and here is Stravinsky himself recalling that conversation in an interview. He really want to offend me. He asked me only one thing, which was very offending. He asked me, will it last a very long time this way? And I said, till the end, my dear. If Diaghilev, the guy whose idea this whole thing was, offended Stravinsky by asking how long does it stay this way after hearing the first two minutes of the music, how would the regular ballet-goer react to 35 minutes of the music? Stravinsky was there for the premiere of the Rite of Spring, and so was Václav Nijinsky, the choreographer. Rumor has it that Stravinsky wrote a letter to his mother, who was also in attendance, warning her to expect booing and hissing from the audience. One popular theory is that the Rite of Spring was intended to offend that rich, supposedly dignified archetype of a ballet audience that I described earlier. The introduction, with that strained bassoon melody, started with just the orchestra. A closed curtain concealed Nijinsky's choreography and Rarick's set and costumes. Then, signs of rhythmic life get pumped into the music. The curtain rolls open to this chord, which is repeated 59 times in this first section after the opening of the curtain. Stravinsky recounts his experience sitting in the audience after the curtain opened. In this interview, he will refer to the Rite of Spring by its original French name, Le Sacre du Printemps. Then... Then the curtain opened on a group of knock-kneed and long-breaded lolitas jumping up and down, dans des adolescentes. The storm broke. It was full of very noisy public. I went out, I said, go to hell. Excuse me, Monsieur Edin. Now Stravinsky is climbing over the now rioting audience Excuse to get into the aisle. They came for, for, for Scheherazade or for Cleopatra. And they Cleopatra and Scheherazade are two more traditional ballets that were popular at the time. Cleopatra. And they saw the Sacre du Printemps. They were very shocked. They were very naive and stupid people. Eventually, the roar of the naive, stupid people in the crowd became too loud for the dancers to hear the orchestra playing. And they weren't always positioned on the stage to be able to see the conductor. So, Stravinsky and Nijinsky both realized that the only way out of this problem would be to go backstage. Both of them fought their way through the crowd into the theater's lobby, where they needed to avoid getting grouped into police roundups. Once backstage, the two of them started yelling out the counts of the music to the dancers. And to be clear, these aren't your typical steady five, six, seven, eight counts. 
For example, here's how the finale of the Rite of Spring sounds when counted aloud in rhythm. One, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, one, two, three, one. You get the idea. So Stravinsky and Nijinsky tried that, but the dancers still couldn't hear. The two of them resorted to getting down on all fours and banging the counts out into the stage so the dancers could feel the counts through the vibrations in the floor and keep time when they couldn't see the conductor. Maybe the two of them took shifts, but this is a feat of pure willpower in itself. Try pounding a wooden floor for 35 minutes straight. Believe it or not, the Rite of Spring was actually able to finish its first performance. But not wanting to cause another riot, the Ballet Russe team went back to the drawing board. As you heard earlier, Stravinsky attributed the riot to the fact that the audience was expecting a more traditional ballet, you know, tight costumes, graceful movements, and tame music. And instead, they got the Rite of Spring. So the next performance of the Rite of Spring was a music-only version. Instead of being occupied by Nijinsky's choreography and Rarick's set design, the stage was filled by a traditional symphony orchestra in tuxedos. The people got what they expected, unlike at the Rite of Spring's premiere. The music was still heavily polarizing and revolutionary, of course, and went against all norms of classical music. Stravinsky was hailed as a genius, which he was, the Rite of Spring itself was sacrificed for this, though, as Rarick's set and Nijinsky's choreography rarely saw the stage since. Only one of the geniuses involved got recognition, and the Rite of Spring became a shell of what it was supposed to be. Perhaps the biggest pop culture nod to the Rite of Spring was in Disney's 1940 film Fantasia, which set pieces of classical music to animation. Stravinsky allowed Disney to use his music, but when he saw how it was adapted for the film, he was furious. Not only were the most intense parts of the music cut out altogether, the score itself was edited to be less dissonant. And the ending with that chord that spells out dead? It was replaced by a recurrence of the bassoon introduction, giving the piece the resolution it had masterfully avoided. The animations accompanying the music, instead of keeping the original plot of the ballet intact, was filled with more family-friendly images of dinosaurs roaming the earth and volcanoes erupting. So, in 1913, the Rite of Spring caused a riot. In 1940, it had been watered down so much from its original form that a four-year-old could say, Whoa, cool dinosaurs, as it was playing. If you create art that is emotionally potent enough to cause a riot, you are on the right track. Art is supposed to challenge, not appease. If the public can successfully overthrow a piece of art like the Rite of Spring, if they can wrestle with it until it gets contained into a form that they are comfortable with, art is dying. Legend has it that Stravinsky wrote a letter to his mother before the Rite of Spring premiered. Stravinsky warned his mother that there would probably be booing and hissing coming from the audience, 
but he told her not to be thrown off by those reactions. Stravinsky expected them, and he welcomed such reactions. Human sacrifice, when considered by Stravinsky's audiences, is repulsive, so the audience at the Rite of Spring should have been repulsed. However, what nobody except for maybe Sergei Diaghilev, Igor Stravinsky, Nicholas Rarick, and Vaslav Nijinsky realized at the time was that this reaction was a sign of attachment to the art. It sucked its viewers in and brought them to a new emotional place. If we only approach art or music with some preconceived notion of what it should make us feel, and if we reject art or music that doesn't align with our notions, we force ourselves into a cycle of listening to only similar-sounding music, and we force ourselves into a cycle of only feeling the same emotions. And if we all fall into these cycles, what's going to happen to art as a whole? <laughs> 